The Dan Bongino Show. Get ready to hear the truth about America with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Man, man, what can I say? I know. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's like, uh, like I said, folks, you can't turn away for two seconds. It's just we the world is seemingly gone mad. It's just crazy. Uh, we have another uh, attack in uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas. And, you know, let me just get right to the point here. I've been doing a lot of media on this, and I got an email yesterday from an, a nice enough guy, a gentleman, and he said to me, I did a hit. A, well, let me let me just give you what happened in case you missed yeah. it. I'm, I'm, of course, I always assume you understand, but there was a shooting in a, a church in Sutherland Springs. Uh, about 20 people shot, multiple victims, um, another tragedy now i want to get into some stuff here i think is going to help you i i I wouldn't do it otherwise folks and i did that yesterday on a a cable news hit on fox i did where i was discussing the shooting and how churches are uniquely vulnerable and i got an email again nice guy i'm not being critical of him anyway he he was very nice to joe and he said to me in the email he's a security professional himself not secret service but something else i i didn't exactly get to check his bio but um he laid out some of his credentials, seemed seemed impressive enough. And he said, I don't think we should be putting this stuff out there on cable news because, again, the same criticism I, I felt would be levied on my book about the Secret Service, debate you're giving the bad guys ideas. Mm. Folks, I can't say this to you enough. The bad guys already have these ideas. The only question is, what are we going to do about it to stop and mitigate the threat from said bad guys? I'm sorry, sir, email me. I appreciate your email uh, greatly. I mean that. But you are categorically wrong on this. Churches are uniquely vulnerable institutions as soft targets, folks. And the fact that a lot of these churches don't have this info and don't even know this is the reason I go on the air and talk about how vulnerable they are so at least they can do something. You see where I'm going with this, Joe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Folks, I would never... Listen, I don't need to be on the... This is not... I'm not in any way trying to be pretentious. Please don't take this the wrong way. I don't need to be on the air. I have more than enough work. <laughs> Joe, can you vouch for me on this one? <laughs> yeah. Please. Oh, yeah. As my friend. Yeah. I have more than enough work if I never did another cable news and again to carry me through <laughs> yeah. and, and, and eon. Really? I only go on the air if I feel like I have something to say. I have said no to multiple cable news hits repeatedly if I feel like I have nothing to add to a conversation. Believe me, I'd print you the emails if it was ethical. Yes, I'll vouch for you on that one as well. Yes. You know it, right? I I said, no, I don't. I said no to the hit. Joe Joe will say, what do you do? He asked me to do this. I won't do it because I I don't feel like I have anything to add. I feel like on this church shooting yesterday, I have a lot to add. Now, getting right to it, I understand your concerns. But here's why churches are uniquely vulnerable. And if you go to a church, if you are a parishioner in a church, if you are a pastor at a church, a deacon at a church, whatever you may do, catechist, whatever, you need to understand that there are people out there casing your locations already. Why? Why are churches vulnerable? Number one, ingress and egress, folks. Mm. This is all we did in the Secret Service is design security plans. And one of the first things you look at at any location you're going to secure is what is the entrance and exit points. Now, why would a church be a uniquely vulnerable target when it comes to ingress and egress? Joe, when you're in church, which I know you go often, 
Do people come in from the back of the church? And when, when I mean the back no. of the church, I mean where the people are seated. Generally the front. Or do people yeah. come in behind the pastor they, the while he's speaking? You know, no, the people come in the front of the church I go to and out the same way. It's it's only right. The know, well, in front me, well, but not when I say the back of the church, I mean they come in the back, right? They don't come in across the uh, the pulpit, right? Uh, right. Yeah. The back. So yeah, I know what you're saying. That's why I mm-hmm. tried to. Uh, but they come in the back of the church. It's the same in every church, everywhere. There are a couple of maybe side entrances, but people who enter a church generally come in, Joe. Correct through the same spot. Yep. Which is we'll call it the back, which is where the 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 seat the seating is behind all the seating. Yeah. Yeah, you don't come in behind the pastor. Right. A church, folks, is a performance. It is a, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. It is a, a, it is a, it's the equivalent of a performance. I mean that in a strategic way, like a concert where the, the attention is all in one direction up front. Right. And when the attention, Joe, is up front, the entrance has to be in the back. Because the people doing the performance or engaging in the in leading the mass, the priest or a rabbi or, or an imam or whoever it is, Joe, does not want to be disrupted by people walking across the, the pulpit behind them. Now, what does that mean? That means everybody is coming in and out in one direction. Right. That means if you want to target people, They are all going to be coming out in that same direction. Meaning you have a shooting spree. Churches are uniquely vulnerable. Second, why churches are uniquely vulnerable. And trust me, people already know this. Why do you think this maniac from the adjoining town there went over there and you get engaged in it? Do you think he didn't know this? We would call it a choke point. It doesn't matter what he called it. He understood likely that people were going to be coming in and out in one direction. Now, a church, being that there is a ceremony going, I don't want to call it a performance. Performance is a, is a bad. It's not what I mean to say. I'm just trying to give you the strategy of it here because this is important. You have a celebration going on in this case. In my case, where I go to church, you have a celebration of the Last Supper of Christ. Do this in memory of me. Mm-hmm. Where is everybody's attention? Up front. Up front. Where is a shooter coming in? The back. Uh, Where is everybody looking? The front. Folks, churches are uniquely vulnerable. Third, what do you not have in a church? You don't have cover or concealment. What is the difference? Cover is a relatively bullet-resistant material wall obstruction that can stop or slow down a bullet so that you can hide behind it. Why does church not have that? Because a church is, by its very nature, an open congregation so that people, Joe, can see the performance, the celebration that is up front. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't put a wall ahead of the parishioners or else they can't see the priest or the rabbi. This this is not complicated. There's no cover. Now, 
There is limited concealment. What is the difference? It's critical you understand this. Maybe I'll cover it on a Rough Cuts episode. Hmm. Concealment conceals you, but provides almost... Now, cover can be concealment. If you're behind a brick wall, that is cover and concealment. Strictly concealment, Joe, that is not cover, okay? Mm -hmm. Concealment that is not cover will conceal you, but will not stop around a bullet. A pew, nine out of ten times, is made of wood. Or you may be in some kind of plastic seating. I assure you, 999 out of 1,000 times, you are not in bullet-resistant seating in a church. So you may have some form of concealment if you get low, but that concealment is limited as well, is limited as well because it's an open room where an active shooter can just walk between the aisles and see you. It's not a closet. It is not a hard room. It is just a bench. If you get behind it and a shooter is walking around in there, a murderer, he can see you as he looks over. It's not hard. So it's not even good concealment. Folks, let me go over this again so you understand this. And please don't email me that we're giving the, I'm t- we're not giving bad guys bad info. These people already know this. I'm going to give you a second things you can do to if you work in a church or anything like that. To stop this stuff. This is these guys and women already know this, these bad guys. You have ingress and egress problems. Everybody's going in and out of one location, the back of the church. Therefore, when everybody starts to flee, you have another guy who can pick them off. They're not going out of multiple locations. Where's everyone looking? Their attention's up front. Where's the shooter gonna come in? He's gonna come in the back. And nobody's gonna see it till it's too late. Third, there's almost no cover. And there's extremely limited concealment for anyone to be able to hide. It's, you know, it's horrible. We have to talk about this, folks. But I feel like I, I owe you some amount of, 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 of my prior expertise that was passed on to me. I didn't invent this stuff. I was taught it like anyone else when I went to uh, the Rowley Training Center for the Secret Service. And we had to understand this. This was our lives. This is what we did every day. I feel an obligation to tell you that there are people already out there planning this stuff. Do you want to know what's wrong or do you not? That's the only question. Now, how do you fix it? Folks, if you're in a church, you've got to get some closed circuit cameras and someone should be watching those cameras every time there's a mass going on. There's no excuse anymore to not do it. We're living in a different time. I wish we weren't. There's no reason to panic. Thank God the likelihood of you being involved in a terrorist attack or an incident like this, a mass attack like this. Thank God the chances are very slim. There is no reason to panic. There's uh, nobody's going to We're Americans. We're all tough. We get through everything. This was a horrible, I mean, the pastor's daughter, kids, adult. I mean, it's just the story's just, I don't want to get choked up here on the air. So I'm going to avoid the gory details for you. But closed circuit cameras, a, a high definition camera monitoring system that should be watched in a camera room or by the firebox or whatever it may be, should be mandatory in every church. Also, at this point, to not have some form of armed guards and you, they don't have to. We're not talking about guys in ninja suits here and BDUs at the door. I don't care how you dress, a sport coat and a pair of khakis. There has to be some form of an armed guard. I'm sorry, folks. It's just irresponsible at this point with everything going on. And between the, the maniacs out there and ISIS and the, the, the growing use of soft target terror, closed circuit TVs and, and, and uh, armed, armed security are just a must. 
I mean, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. I, I volunteer at my church. I don't say this to pat myself on the back. I say this to make a point. If they asked me to volunteer as security, I would do it. You don't have to pay people, but to not, it's just irresponsible at this point. Now, secondly, you have to get some form of a hard room in your church. There has to be some room somewhere that has a door, no windows, and three hardened walls so that someone can get in there and at least call the police and do something. The people on the stage, the only people on, on the on the um the people up on the altar are the only people who can really see what's going on. They should be able to flee to a hard room so that someone can communicate with the police so they at least have some idea. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying, Joe? If you're a priest, if you're a deacon, if you're a musical performer mm-hmm. up on that stage and that God forbid there's a shooting, you should be able to flee to a hard room, a hardened room, usually a bathroom that can't be shot into, that you're not, you can stay safe for a moment. There should be some kind of a phone or you have a cell phone on. You should be able to communicate with the police from that room and be able to describe immediately what's going on. You have mm-hmm. to have a hard room. We, the Secret Service, newsflash, we don't, this isn't private information. It's, we don't go anywhere without a hard room, ever, for any reason. Also, you need to make big things small. If there's a section of your church, if there's a section of your church that can be closed off, you should have an emergency response plan where people can do it. In other words, if there's five or six side entrances into your church, and people can flee out of those entrances into kind of a hallway, you should have some kind of a roll-down gate so that people can't follow you, notably killers and shooters and terrorists. I know in the church I go to, there is a a hall they use afterwards right next to it where they do coffee and donuts afterwards, which is very nice. They do drives there, food drives and things of the sort. People should be able to flee into there, and they should be able to close the access to that behind them. A sealed door, a rolled down gate, or something. I call it making big things small. Make big things small. Make a big church a small safe area so that some people can get out. It's really sick that on a Monday morning we have to talk about this stuff, folks. It's kind of depressing. It's not kind of depressing. It is depressing. But I was taught these things... I'm a smart guy, but I'm no smarter than you. I figured it out. This is all I did my entire life. It's time that all of us have to become like many Secret Service agents ourselves and start thinking, are we in danger too? Sorry, but this is just where we are. All right, I got a lot more to talk about, so we're going to move on from that. Um, I got a unbelievable story. This is not a subscriber-only piece, by the way. I'll put it in the show notes at the Wall Street Journal, Joe. But there was a piece about... Communism. It's a, it's a it's long, but it's not. It's about a thousand words. You can read it in ten minutes. But there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal you have to read. I will put it in the show notes today. Bongino.com. Uh, if you go there, you can read the show notes, or you can subscribe to my email list. There, as most of you know and have done. Thank you. Our email list has exploded. By the way, I will email the story right to you to your inbox uh, today. Uh, it's about it's a brief history of communism, but it is an amazing piece, and I have some quotes from this, and they are eerie, Joe. Straight up eerie as to what's going on right now with liberal identity politics uh, before we get to that though i we have to pay for the show i thank everyone by the way supports our sponsors and we got a new sponsor so welcome 
Thank you to our friends at Filter Buy. We are uh, <laughs> in a lot of requests for sponsorships, so we really appreciate it. You know, I'm very selective about who we take on as a sponsor. You may say, well, Filter, you're taking on Air Filter Company? Yes, because most of you don't know this about me. And being that I released part of Joe's <laughs> medical history on the Friday show, he didn't seem to care, so I didn't mind. No. Uh, he didn't either. I also would have cut it out of the show. You didn't, yeah, right? I so people actually know, right? You left it in. Okay, good. I, I spoke. Sometimes I, Joe, I usually tell me. But I have really horrendous allergies. I don't know if you know this about me. So when we got a, we, someone reached out to us from a, a filter company. I looked into it from an air filter company for that. And I thought, this is perfect because I work from home and I have really horrendous allergies. And when I moved into my house, little known secret, folks. I opened up my air filter box, and I love the prior homeowners. They were really nice. But they hadn't changed the air filter on the unit, Joe, for probably 10 years. The air filter's supposed to be white. It wasn't even black. It was like beyond black. It was like, you know that black, when it's not black, it turns gray? It was that black. Because the air filter was like made of concrete. It hadn't been changed for so long. And I'm wondering why I'm itching the hell out of my hands. Well... I'm happy to have this company on board, filterby.com. Do you know Americans are spending up to 90% of their time indoors, me being one of them? According to studies, the air you and your family breathe contains up to 100 times greater air pollution levels than the air outside. That freaked me out when I read that, by the way. It's time to replace it, okay? Replace your air filters. Go to filterby.com. They'll send you the size you need within 24 hours plus free shipping. 24 hours, folks. I'm, I'm definitely signing up for this. I can never find my filters. Filter by uses double the industry standard Merv rating on most filter sizes. I'll spare you all the technical mumbo jumbo. You don't need it. Here's the bottom line. You'll be removing the dangerous pollen, mold, dust, and other allergy aggravating pollution from the air in your house, which you're breathing, folks, almost all day. In my case, I work from home. All their filters are manufactured right here in America, and they can ship any size and in any quantity. Save 5% when you set up auto delivery and never think about air filters again. Go to filterbuy.com today, filterbuy.com, and get the best price on top quality filters shipped within 24 hours plus free shipping. Filterbuy.com, that's filterbuy.com. Go check them out, folks. Tell them uh, Dan Bongino sent you if you talked to him on the phone there. All right. Uh, it's always good to get new sponsors. We love them. So there was this, here's some uh, some info from this piece I was telling you about, which was really blew my mind. You know, it's on the weekend. I I try not, folks. I know this is a little bit disappointing to me, but I try not to read too much politics on the weekend because uh, I just have to get away from it because it's infuriating most of the time. But there's this piece which is incredible again on communism. And it talks about the you know what the body count from communism, Joe, is. Mm. Give you a rough guesstimate. How many million do you think died? Oh, uh, three hundred. Sixty-five million. I mean, once you're, at, once you're at 65 million, right? I mean, it's like, what, what did Stalin say? Was it Stalin who said, you know, one, one death is a tragedy, a, a million is a statistic? Mm. And your answer there is evidence of that, that 65, 100, 200? Yeah. I mean, we're counting in millions. Think about the epic scale, the tragedy, but the similarity to what's going on right now is absolutely eerie. Let me read to you this first. This is from the piece, right? And think about what's going on today. Pay Mm -hmm. attention now to what liberal Democrats are doing now with identity politics, Joe. Mm -hmm. Union employees, uh, uh, minorities, uh, immigrants, everybody's a victim somehow when it comes to liberal identity politics. Now, listen to this quote from the piece and think about where they got the idea from. From the piece. In urban areas, the Soviet regime was able to draw upon armed factory workers, 
eager recruits to the party and secret police on uh, uh, and on young people impatient to build a new world. In the countryside, however, the peasantry, some 120 million souls, had carried out their own revolution, deposing the gentry and establishing de facto peasant land ownership. So who did they target? The early communists. They targeted factory workers and young people. Now, preying on factory workers, Joe, this is going to sound familiar? No. Based on class warfare rhetoric. Here's another quote from the piece. Yeah. Talking about Stalin, Joe. Okay. He incited class warfare against kulaks, better off peasants. That's what the kulaks were. And anyone who defended them. Listen to this one. Imposing quotas for mass arrests and internal deportations of those evil, well-off kulaks, those better off peasants. Sound familiar? Yeah. Those evil rich people, fair share, pay your fair share. Folks, you wonder where this stuff comes from? You think I'm making this up? You think I'm like a total psycho when you listen to this show? I'm reading this piece thinking this is what's going on now. So they target the factory workers using class warfare rhetoric, and they target young people knowing, and I don't mean this as a blanket insult. Don't take this the wrong way. Knowing that their youth comes with it a a certain lack of knowledge about how the world works, Mm -hmm. strictly as a matter of chronological time. Joe, does anybody disagree with that? The longer you're alive, the more you learn? Yeah, that's pretty much true. No matter how smart, I mean, I'm not trying to confuse anyone. I'm not a trick question, but the longer you're alive through pure experience alone, you just learn more. If you go to school and enhance that learning, great. But if you are alive longer, all things given equal, you will generally know more than someone who's not alive as long as you've been, just through experience alone. Mm Mm-hmm. So they took advantage, the Soviets, of younger people impatient, as this piece says, for the revolution. Sound familiar, Joe? Oh, yeah. With these young birdie bros now? Mm-hmm. And, and these, these suckers in college, these liberal suckers who believe in this socialist revolution despite 65 million dead? Mm-hmm. Folks, class warfare and identity politics has been a staple of the far left for eons. Don't be a sucker. Gosh, I mean, do you think these tactics are new? I'm going to put the piece in there. I strongly encourage you to read it because none of this stuff is new, folks. These ideas are not original. They've been doing this forever. They got this from the Soviets. Folks, they needed to create victim groups. And what I like about the piece is it talks about an idea I've been discussing for a while now. It's not my idea. It's not original to me. It's not proprietary. Matter of fact, I I got it from David Horowitz. Not Dan Horowitz, a conservative view. David Horowitz, who wrote a book called Unholy Alliance. Folks, liberals understood a long time ago what the Soviets did. And in the piece, they talk about how the Soviets never knew, Joe, where this was going to wind up. Now, why? Why would the Soviets not know the endgame of communism? Because it had never been tried successfully, Joe. Yeah. They never, it nowhere, it, it never worked. The Soviets didn't have a utopia to point to. Joe, am I making sense here? Yeah. In other words, they couldn't point to like, look at East Tuna Fish over here. Mm-hmm. And this is this Soviet. This is what it's going to look like. They didn't have that. Now, there were failed societies and then there were failing societies. And then there were societies that were on their road to bigger and better things that were generally free market capitalist societies. Had problems. Nobody disputes that. Nonetheless, the early industrial revolution, we had problems in the United States, but we were on the way to big and better things where we are now and still moving in that better direction. The Soviets didn't have that. They didn't know where any of this was going to end up. So what they did is they relied on what uh, what David Horowitz called the anti anti communist approach, 
meaning, Joe, they never tried to sell people, in the know at least, mm-hmm. on the benefits of their communist society by pointing to anything real. Why? Because they didn't have it. So what did they do, Joe? They just attacked their enemies. Does that make sense? Yeah, just made stuff up. So we're the anti... You're damn right. So we're the anti-communists. What were they? They were the anti-anti-communists. That's what liberals are now. They can't point to their perfect society. So they're anti-anti-communists. They just go after people like us that know their idea of a perfect world vis-a-vis socialism sucks. Is Is this making sense? Yeah. They're sitting in a room. Imagine a bunch of dopey communists. They have nothing to point to to say to people, hey, guys, vote for us. Or there's no voting, obviously, in communism. It's the very opposite of a, of, a, of, a, of a free market and a free electoral market as well. But they can't point to people and say, hey, support us. Here's where we're going to get you. We're going to get you paradise. And here's what paradise looks like because it exists. They don't have that. So all they do is point to the existing system now, Joe, which we, ha- we can see, right? Capitalism mm-hmm. here. And they say, gosh, look at the United States. Look what it's doing to immigrants. Look what it's doing to black people. Look what it's doing to Muslims. Look what it's doing to union workers. Look what it's doing to the poor. Look what it's doing to the middle class. But they can't point to anything themselves other than death and destruction on their side. That is why they are the anti-anti-communists. That is why they hate us so much. Because they don't have anything. All they have is hate and identity politics. Do you understand? They don't have anything else? Well, jeez, why do they side with... It? How come they don't go after people in the Muslim world who are attacking gay people? How come? Because they're anti-anti-communist. They see the Muslim world attacking free markets and capitalism in America, and they're on the team. There you go. They don't have anything else. All they have is aligning with people who hate freedom. That's it. They don't have anything else. Folks, please read the piece. I know I, it, obviously it's my website. Um, I get it. And obviously joining my email list benefits us. I'm not going to smoke you up. It does. I mean, it, I'm happy to have it. We're happy to have so many names. But please read the piece. Just go to my website and read it. It'll take you 15 minutes. And everything I've told you in the show about how liberals don't have anything they stand for other than hating us because they don't, there's nothing there will all make sense. They are the anti-anti-communists. And when you understand that and the genesis of their hatred and the genesis of their use of victimology, everything falls into line. Is that okay, Joe? Yeah, it was good, Dan. You are the audience. Yeah, it was very good. I mean, you know, the the parallels are pretty self-evident. This is definitely time for a trading places thing. It ain't safe being no jive turkey this close to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. That's because I know someone's going to say, Joe, well, he agrees with you. He doesn't always agree with me. And that, you know, that's a trading places thing we bring up on the show. Remember that guy from the movie? Yeah. They think Joe's the yeah guy. He totally isn't. It ain't safe being no jive turkey. <laughs> I love that. This close to Thanksgiving. Wait, what? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right. Today's show brought to you by our friends at iTarget as well. You know, I'm a big fan of these guys. Love iTarget. They're terrific. I have been getting deluged with emails, even from old campaign people up in Maryland, friends of mine, who bought iTarget and can't put the damn thing down. <laughs> I mean, she's a damn thing. They're a sponsor, but I'm telling you, this one lady says, listen, my trigger finger is already sore. I play with it all the time. <laughs> Folks, I, marksmanship's a skill. No different than hitting a baseball, golfing. You better practice it. Any idiot can shoot a gun. Anyone. Can you shoot a gun accurately? That's what matters. 
We practiced our marksmanship in the Secret Service, but listen, in Secret Service training, that's what we got paid to do. Range time's expensive. Ammo's expensive. It's good to go. Don't get me wrong. You need your range time, but you don't have the opportunity to go to the range every day. We have active, busy lives. What if I told you you could practice in the safety and security of your own home with your own firearm, with this piece of equipment, and you could up your marksmanship dramatically? I mean, some of the emails are getting, people are like, they're sending me their scores. They're like, look at this. This is an incredible product. All right, folks? Go to iTarget. That's the letter I, itargetpro.com. And here's how it works. It uses a laser in place of the bullet in your firearm. It's not going to do any damage to your gun at all. Don't worry. I've had military people email me say, we use this stuff all the time. It uses a laser in place of the bullet, and it works with a phone app, and it'll detect exactly where your shots are landing. This is like the coolest thing ever. You'll never play a video game again after this. Competitive shooters, people do this for a living, by the way. Dry fire, meaning not letting live rounds go through their gun, they dry fire 10 times more than they live fire. And the iTarget system will take your dry fire practice to the next level. Send me your scores. I'm not making this up. You watch your marksmanship go through the roof. Go to iTargetPro.com. I got a promo code for you for 10% off. Use promo code DAN, D-A-N, my first name. Get 10% off. Go to iTargetPro.com. Give me your review of the product. People have been going bonkers over this product. They love it. Okay. Oh, uh, let's see. Oh, 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 oh. So, man, have I been getting emails about this topic. You know the tax bill? We talked about yeah. it at length last week. I'm not going to readdress right. the whole tax bill. Uh, you can listen to the shows uh, from last week. But I missed something last week. Not in the bill. I I don't want, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I saw it, but I didn't understand the implications of it. Shame on me. But over the weekend, I got bombarded with emails. Did you see the bubble tax rate? Now, I am going to include an article. It's it's uh, it's by uh, it's on in Forbes. The guy disagrees with me, but it's a good piece and explains how the bubble tax rate works that you really, really need to read at the show notes. Okay, go check it out. It's from Forbes. People are saying, Dan, there's a hidden tax rate in there for high earners. Yes, there is. There is. And I'm going to explain to you quickly, one, why it's a horrible idea. But first, actually, that's two. Number one, how it works. And secondly, why it's a horrible idea. Now, the author of the Forbes piece disagrees. He doesn't think it's a bad idea. It's okay. But he explains it well. And I still think it's worth reading. So I'll put that in the show notes. There is a hidden tax rate in the tax bill. A lot of you picked it up. Story kind of broke this weekend. There's been my buddy Mark Levin has been going nuclear about this, as he should. It is a absolutely horrendous idea. But I'm going to tell you why it's in there and how it works. First, why it's in there. It is a hidden tax rate for people who are making over, I think it's married couples over 1.2 million or so, mm. and it is a higher tax rate, contrary to what people are going to tell you, than the highest rate we have now. Now, this is class warfare nonsense at its worst, but why is it in there? It is in there because the Republicans only had $1.5 trillion based on the rules they're using to tax the bill, to, to uh, pa- excuse me, to pass the bill. They only had $1.5 trillion, Joe, to work with. Right. So they needed somehow to, I'm trying to think of a way to explain this, buy down lower rates. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like mm. how to keep some high tax rates okay. on high okay. earners yeah. to give lower tax rates to low earners because they had to fit in that $1.5 trillion window. Make yep. sense? Okay. To buy down that lower rate, they put in a bubble rate. Now, here's how it's technically described. Don't freak out. I'll explain it. Don't worry about it. But how it's described in the four piece by Ryan Ellis. That was me. It should might go to you a little bit. Oh. Did you hear that? Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah. See, he says no. Yeah. yeah once in a while. You don't yeah. need no chapter. <laughs> All right. It is a calibrated 6% phase-out wedge on incomes exceeding $1.2 million for married couples and $1 million for everyone else. You're like, well, what the hell does that mean? Okay, folks. Once you make $1.2 million or more, and you're married, let's just say married for a moment, because then you got to go do it both for married and single. Let's just, most of us are at that age would be married anyway, especially at that income range. Once you exceed 1.2 million, Joe, remember I was explaining to you how marginal tax rates work? Yeah. The bill now has a 12, 25, 35, and 39.6% tax rate. You pay those tax rates on the income in those ranges, no matter what you earn. In other words, uh, Joe, Mm-hmm. let's just for the sake of round numbers say your first ten thousand dollars was taxed at the 12 percent rate okay? okay i think it's the 90 percent in the bill but let's just for round, for the sake of making it easy let's just say your first ten thousand was at the 12 percent rate 10 to twenty thousand was at the 25 percent rate 20 to 30 was at the 35 percent rate and and thirty thousand dollars of income and above was at the 39.6 percent rate all right the way it works is you only pay that tax on the income in that range. So if you only make $10,000, you would only pay the 12% rate. If you make 20000 you would pay the 12% rate on the first 10000 in income, the first six months of your earning year, right, Joe? Okay. And in the last six months, when you made ten dollars to $20,000, you would pay the 25% rate. Make sense? That's how marginal rates work. You you only pay the tax rate on the income you made in that bracket. I hope this is making sense. Yeah, we... We've done it the a way they of wanted. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the way they wanted to buy back some money, which is absurd, by the way, to to be able to cut rates for the middle class, is what they did. Is they phased out. That's what he says. A calibrated six percent phase out wage. What that means is once you hit that one point two million Joe in income mm-hmm. as a married couple, mm-hmm. you get a six percent, basically like a levy. On your 39.6% rate you're paying now. Now you're saying, wait, Dan, 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 I don't get it. How is that phasing out a 12% rate if it's a 6% phase out? Because folks, the 12% rate now applies on up to 90,000 in income. Okay? If you're paying just half, if you're getting a 6% kind of surcharge levy on 1.2 million or more, that wipes out what 12% on 90,000 would have been. Simple math. You see what I'm saying, Joe? Do you, 12% of 90,000 or 6% of 1.2 million. You get what I'm saying? That wipes out your earlier rate. So it's a slick little trick they did. Here's what, huh. I know that math wasn't terribly complicated, but I know it confused a couple of people. You don't need as high a percentage at higher incomes because it's a higher amount of money. Makes okay, sense, Joe? That makes perfect sense, yes. You don't need it because you're at 12% of 90,000. You do the math yourself, folks. And 6% of 1.2 million, you start wiping out any cash benefits of that 12% rate. So it was designed to wipe out the 12% rate for people who make 1.2 million on their first zero to 90,000 because they get a surcharge later on. In other words, hey, yeah, you're going to pay 12% of that zero to 90,000, Joe, but we're going to throw a little levy later on over 1.2 million. Folks, it's a crap idea. It's a horrible idea. And we definitely don't need no jive turkeys on this one right now. Yeah. This is too important of a... <laughs> yeah. 
Seigneur. It is too important of a time. Why are we playing class warfare politics? This is simply a clawback. And he, by the way, the author of the piece who likes the idea, I hate the idea. He says, hey, it's a good piece, though. He says it's a clawback of the 12% rate. He doesn't try to hide it. Why is it a clawback? Why should people who make $1.2 million, why, why should they have to give back the benefits of a 12% rate? Folks, I dispute strongly, by the way, and the reason I said this with a, with a note of skepticism when we opened up, that it was going to buy back anything, is we've shown, as on this show, you're probably tired of hearing it, over time, that the Reagan tax cuts, which, by the way, Joe, yes, there was a bubble rate in the Reagan tax cuts, but they lowered the top rate to 28%. What's the top rate now, Joe? 39.6. So don't cite me the Reagan bubble rates. And under the Reagan tax cuts, by the way, from 70 to 28%, that was the top rate, Joe, mm. before Reagan got into office, yeah. 70%. The rich, I've said to you repeatedly, they got a tax cut from 70% on the margin at their top rate to 28%. The rich not only paid more in taxes, they paid a greater percentage of GDP of the taxes as well than they did before. Liberals, what part of that is difficult to understand? The point I'm trying to make is I don't think this bubble rate is going to do a darn thing to raise any money. And I think it's being scored improperly. And you can't compare it to the Reagan tax cuts because the rates were different. It was a different time. Interest rates were different. I think it's just a messy. In other words, he says that. And I say that because Ellis in the piece as well, you know, there was a bubble rate in the Reagan tax cuts as well. And he's right. He, he does the homework. He's not wrong. But I think the comparison's a false one. You see where I'm going with this show? They cut the top tax rate from 70 to 28%. It was a different time. And not to mention the rich wound up paying more anyway. Folks, once we fall prey to this ridiculous class warfare garbage, this extensive smelly hot garbage that the rich should pay, why should the rich pay more? Why? Why? What have you done with the money? You've pissed it away. Why should we give you more? I want, you know what I want rich people to do? I want rich people to go out and invest in their darn businesses. I don't want them giving the money to the government. It's a cesspool. I want them to invest in the businesses where we work, a lot of us. You know why, Joe? So we could be rich one day, too. This isn't hard. Oh, my gosh. All right, a couple of just quick stories I thought were fascinating I want to put out there. But please read the piece about the bubble rate. It does exist. Don't let anybody tell you it doesn't. And it's um, it said that the author of the piece I put in there in Forbes explains it well. I read a really interesting piece about uh, the, is this the end of the iPhone? Hmm. It's on my show notes today. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Check that out. But, you know, with the iPhone X, right, coming out, mm-hmm. Joe? Yeah. I the, I the every this thing's been getting rave reviews. I want to get one as a matter of fact. The iPhone X is like everybody's going crazy over this. They love the iPhone, love the iPhone. I I am not a huge fan of Apple's politics, but I do like their products. I have an iPhone myself. I have a six plus, and the te- headline of the piece is is this basically the beginning of the end of Apple? And I thought, what the hell? Like this is one of going to be one of their crowning achievements, the iPhone X. But the author makes a really 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 good point. And I I hadn't really thought this one through, especially in context of the quantum computing I discussed last week and what I think is the burgeoning growth of artificial intelligence. He says, listen, I'm going to sum it up for you. He's like, these things are going to be dumb screens soon. 
he said it's not about he said a- Apple's addition to the market show their value added was not just the fact that you could play music on a phone. Mm-hmm. It was the fact that they integrated a whole app technology, right? Everything's apps now. I use yeah. apps to work out. I use apps to listen to. I use apps to listen to Joe in the morning on WCBM as an app. <laughs> I listen to Joe when Joe comes on sometimes in the morning on his morning show. Everything's an app now. Everything's an app. Conservative Review has an app. You can listen on a podcast. That was one of, and not the only thing, but it was one of Apple's signature value-added moves into the market. You tracking mm-hmm. me, Joe? Now, the iPhone X is the, you know, the coup de grace. This is it, man. They made it. This is like the best phone ever, better screen technology, cameras. The guy who writes a piece says, no, it's not. This is the end of it. You know why? Hmm. It's not about apps anymore. It's about skills. In other words, and he's right. Hmm. It's going to be about AI uh, computing in the future, and it's not going to be about what an app you have on your phone can do. It's going to be about what the technology in your house, what skills they can provide, and these things are going to – he doesn't say this part of it, but this is me jumping – summing it up for you in my own way. That thing in your pocket we call smartphone, Joe, is going to be a dumb screen soon. Hmm. There's going to be some transportable AI-based technology chip or whatever it is coming in the future, not very long into the future – Remember who signaled who who figured you know BlackBerry was ever going to go away? Remember BlackBerry? Oh, yeah. That was it, Joe. If you had a BlackBerry, you had made it. Mm-hmm. Now BlackBerry's been relegated to the dustbin of history. This guy thinks with the with the advent of of uh, artificial intelligence, chip technology, quantum computing, all of this stuff, that this thing is going to be a dumb box soon. It's going to be nothing but a screen. It'll all be a chip. It'll be a chip in your in your uh, Amazon uh, Echo in your house or whatever it'll be. You, want, you you know, we'd say you used to go to your phone, play the Renegade Republican on iHeartRadio, right? right? Mm-hmm. Now, Joe, you're just gonna go to uh, you're gonna go to Amazon Alexa. You're gonna say the Renegade Republican, play the Dan Bongino. See, I'm still using it, right? <laughs> you're gonna go to Amazon or whatever. It's this smart chip technology. Hey, play Dan Bongino show. Oh, where do you want me to play it on? Play it on my speakers. You're not gonna have to use your phone anymore. You want to say, hey, I want to watch CRTV, our network, which is a convenient plug for our network, but unintended, but nonetheless. I want to watch the Mark Levin show. I want to watch the Steve Day show. I want to watch Gavin McGinnis show, Phil Robertson show. Where would you like to see it? Play it on my TV. TV is going to be a dumb screen. So is the little TV in your pocket, the smartphone. And I thought it was an ingenious piece, Joe, that this may be. And the reason, oh, by the way, you may say, well, why why is that such a danger to Apple? AI and dumb boxes and all this stuff. And the point he's trying to make is that Google and other companies, Joe, are way ahead of Apple. I own Apple stock, by the way. So it's not, you know, again, it's not in my benefit to tell you this. And I think Apple will catch up. They only have $500 trillion in cash (laughs) on their books, right? But you see the point he's trying to make, Joe, is that Google and a lot of these other companies like Amazon are moving ahead of Apple quicker on the AI front while they're investing in hardware. And to sum it up, the point is not going to be about the hardware in the future, Joe. It's going to be about the software and the skills things can do, not necessarily the piece of plastic and silicone and stuff in your pocket. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, really super cool piece. Go check it out. It'll be at the show notes today. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Please go to Bongino.com. Subscribe to my email list there. Check us out. We do a lot of work putting together these articles for you every day, so we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. See you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.